0: Good morning. Today we'll be reading portions of Proverbs 16, 17, 18, 19, 27, and 31. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. This is the word of God.
1: The prophet Isaiah said that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. The, the scripture reading is printed for you. Copies are in the back. And we even have discussion questions if those would be helpful to you or your family or your community group. We're gonna conclude our series of studying the Proverbs uh, by examining our own plans for our children's future. We've been looking at how the wisdom of the ancient Hebrew scriptures can guide us in raising up the next generation, parenting, teaching, discipling the next generation. Uh, We're a church that feels it's very important for the church to invest in the future. Uh, a biblical faith always invests in the generation that's coming up. And so we've tried to do that, and we've tried to hit all the major themes in the Proverbs, not every theme, but we've tried to hit the big ones. And we're gonna to talk today about maybe the thing that you think about the most for your children or your grandchildren or your students, and even worry about the most. Plans. What are they going to do? In the future, what will tomorrow's world look like for them? What can we do right now to help them? You may remember from our very first uh, study a couple of months ago, uh, a recent article in the Atlantic coined the uh, the phrase "intensive parenting," Uh, and the definition is, and I'll quote: "Whereby mothers and fathers." overextend their time and money curating their child's life in hopes of maximizing the child's future success. And you might remember that even a secular article said that is a bad thing, (laughs) that is an unhealthy thing, and yet most American parents think it's a good thing. The article goes on to say, instead of intensive parenting, a better approach is a phrase that was actually coined by a child psychologist and um, an educator all the way back in the 1950s in Great Britain. Instead of intensive parenting, he said a better approach is good enough parenting. Isn't that a relief? Doesn't that just make you, take a breath. Why is good enough parenting better than intensive parenting? Because someone else is better than we are at achieving results. The Proverbs say, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You know, Proverbs chapter 16, many of today's uh, passages come out of Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16 is like the mountaintop of Old Testament teaching on the sovereignty of God. You heard Chris starting to talk to the kids about God's sovereignty, how he upholds all things by the power of his mighty will, his everlasting wise and righteous decrees, as the Westminster Confession of Faith would put it. But Proverbs 16 tells us, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. What's interesting about the ancient Hebrew word for commit is it literally meant to roll something. Roll your plans to the Lord, roll your work to the Lord. Now that sounds silly to us, but think about rolling a ball. What are you doing when you roll a ball to somebody else? You're releasing it. You're letting it go. You're giving it to someone else. And really, that is what it means to parent by faith. To nurture your children well, but release their future to God. You know, the wise, the ancient sages who collected all of these Proverbs, they didn't look down on planning. When you read through the Proverbs, it doesn't discourage good planning. Setting goals, setting reasonable, wise goals, that's all great stuff, because if you don't have some plans and some goals, guess what? You're gonna starve. That's not the issue. What the Proverbs emphasized more than good planning is that God's plans supersede our plans. And a wise person understands that. And a wise person embraces that. God's plans supersede yours. And wisdom is understanding that, accepting it, and embracing it. And today we're going to talk about poor planning. And we're also going to talk about It'll look better in a few minutes after that. We're going to talk about wise planning also. And we're going to talk about, and here's the key, God's planning. Poor planning, wise planning, and God's planning with the futures of our children and the next generation. So poor planning is preoccupied with the self. Poor planning is not simply saying, oh, I thought I needed 1,000 bricks to build this and I only needed 700 bricks and now I've wasted money. Um, Of course, that's a practical aspect of of planning. What I mean by by this is poor planning is preoccupied with the self, meaning there's an aspect of foolish living that inflates the self as you're trying to plan for your future. So the Proverbs describe the fool. We've talked about the fool as one of the characters in the Proverbs. The thing about the fool is that he thinks too highly of himself and he makes plans based on that. He thinks too highly of himself and he bases his plans then on poor judgment. So for instance, Proverbs chapter 18 begins with this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. You see, he's preoccupied with himself. When you are preoccupied with your own ideas and your own dreams, that makes you deaf to good advice. And if you're deaf to good advice from other people, now your judgment is impaired. And if your judgment is impaired, you're going to overestimate yourself and your capabilities. So, in Proverbs chapter 17, if you go back a chapter, to verse 24, the discerning sets his face toward wisdom. But now listen to this, the eye of a fool, the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Think about that phrase. The eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. I love this quote. How much you wanna make a bet that I can throw a football over those mountains? If you're familiar, especially if you're younger and you've seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite, Uncle Rico is completely out of touch with himself. Uncle Rick, Uncle Rico lives in the past. He feels like everybody has wronged him and misjudged him. He he had he had the makings of a great quarterback, and and people just didn't see it in him, and and even in his, you know, as a middle-aged man, he's saying things like, I'll bet I can throw a football over that mountain. And like, that's the way a five-year-old kid talks, right? Like, Like, their imagination mixed with foolishness, they think they can do anything, and here's a man in the middle of his life still thinking that he can throw a football over the mountains. Uncle Rico was completely out of touch with himself and his surroundings. So the fool, in his pride, overestimates his capabilities and he overestimates his plans and the scope of his plans. And so here's where parenting comes in. Unwise parenting fails to cultivate self-awareness in a child. What our culture will cultivate in children is self-obsession. Right? This is the TikTok generation, we're all, we, we, we are on devices that have apps that are geared uh, to, to becoming addictive so that the more we use them, the more likes we get, the more we think we're something, and the fewer likes and the fewer follows we get, the more we're, we think we're nothing. And so we live in a culture that if we leave our children to the devices of our culture, our children will become self-obsessed. And it's the parent's job to teach wisdom by teaching self-awareness. What are your limitations? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are you capable of accomplishing? What do you need others' help in order to accomplish? What would be unwise to try to accomplish? Self-awareness. Now, you may remember, I've brought this up a couple of times, but Dr. Jim Colfield, uh the psychologist, basically says, look, uh, people are the result of their nature, their nurture, and the choices that they make. And you can't change a person's nature. You're not going to change your child's nature. Where you come in is nurture. You can nurture a person. You can nurture them and cultivate them and help them and teach them and disciple them so that they have the ability to make good choices as they grow up and as they're outside of your influence. You can't change a nature, but you can nurture a person towards making their own wise choices. And so again, the Proverbs tell us, chapter 27, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. You see, wisdom applies pressure against the unchecked growth of pride in a child. Wisdom is always asking an individual, why are you so focused and so proud of what you plan to do tomorrow, or a year from now, or 10 years from now? And why are you telling everybody all of this? Focus on what's in front of you. It's unwise to boast about what you haven't yet accomplished. Actually, James in the New Testament basically says the same thing. Like, you're you're talking about going here and there to make a profit on this and that. Like, your life is a mist. You're like a breath. Why are you telling everybody what you're going to do in the future? James says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now that thinking is contrary to our culture that says humanity is the measure of all things. Our plans are the measure of all things. What we want to be when we grow up, what we want our society to look like, what we want this world to look like 50 years now for our grandchildren, our plans are the measure of the health of our planet and the condition of our society. Well, in a way that's true, but in a really big way it's not true. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You may think that your good plans will lead to prosperity. But apart from God, the result is destruction based on a lack of judgment on what our capabilities really are. So, poor planning can be the result of a self-centered lack of self-awareness. But not all poor results are the result of poor planning, right? Sometimes you do the right thing, and you have the right perspective, and you make wise choices, and you make wise plans, and the results are terrible. Because life happens, right? Things happen. Life is full of unplanned trouble. And that's the rub, that's the struggle. That's what makes it so frustrating, that's what makes it so scary, is you can have good intentions and you could put in a good effort and the results can still be catastrophic. So, wise planning accounts for the fact that we live in a fallen world and the fact that we worship a sovereign God. The world is broken. You and I are sinners. But a good God is sovereign. And wise planning takes all of that into account. Your best plans and life's unplanned setbacks cannot override God's plans. And so Proverbs 16 again The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Uh, Almost 20 years ago, I listened to uh, a, a sermon series on the Proverbs preached by Tim Keller. And I'll never forget this statement he made working through Proverbs 16. He said, Our choices are ours, but the results are God's. Your choices are yours but the results belong to God. And so again, in Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. You see that? What looks to human observation as simple chance, or just random events, random acts of terror, or, or random, random occurrences of good luck, right? What looks like random events to us is actually woven into the fabric of God's design. What seems random to us is very much a part of what God is doing. And so the apostles in the New Testament would illustrate this fundamental belief in how they chose an apostle for Judas. Remember, Judas killed himself, and they are like, we need another guy to replace Judas so that we're a fully functioning 12 apostles again. And I don't know if you remember, if you look at Acts chapter 1, uh, when the church is starting, it's like, well, we need to replace Judas. So what are we going to do? Well, well, the people brought forth two, uh, two men, two highly qualified. Either of them would have been a great apostle. You've ever been in a situation like that? you got two good choices and you don't know what to do. They're both good choices and you, you just don't know what to do. Well, the apostles bring both men forward and, and they pray and they say, they say in their prayer, you Lord who know the hearts of all show which one of these two you have chosen. And then what do they do? They, this is amazing. They've all seen miracles. They all have seen the risen Jesus Christ rise from the dead. And, and they don't wait for something to fly out of the clouds. They're not waiting for an angel. They're not waiting for a miracle. They they do the unglamorous thing of casting. They basically draw straws. They say, Lord, you know the man of your choosing. They both look great to us, but we don't know which one to choose. We can only choose one. So, Lord, show us. (laughs) And then, like, they roll the dice. You know? What looks like mere gambling was an act of deep faith because they knew in that simple act. See, they had to do something. They didn't just sit and wait. We have to act. We have to move forward. We have to do something. But the result belongs to God. So casting lots, it wasn't superstition for them. For them, it was the Lord is in the details. And that's what we call providence. God working in nature. God working through history to accomplish his purposes. And they had full confidence confidence that God's man would come forward and so they rolled the dice they acted but they trusted in God's results now what can that mean for us in parenting what can that mean for us when we think about our children's future your grandchildren's future the next generation what can it mean for us well I'm going to suggest this as we close this series. Teach your children to live for God today and trust in God for tomorrow. Live for God today, trust in God for tomorrow. Live for God today. Through the prophet Micah, we hear these words. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. There's a beautiful summary of the Ten Commandments and the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor, right? There's no great mystery about what God has called us to do right now. There's no great mystery. We have in his revealed word what it is to love God and to love our neighbors. But filling a child's schedule with only future-building activities, right? You can fill in the blank. Um, you know, travel, travel, sports, so that they get into a D1 school, tutoring for the SAT, so that they get into that Ivy League school, music lessons, dance lessons. You know, extra credit. These are all fine, okay. But have we filled our children's schedules to the point where they have no time to simply do the right thing? that God has already revealed in scripture they should be doing. Filling a child's schedule with only future building activities will rob her or him of learning to do the right thing right now. So live for God today. If they have a sibling, if they're involved in other people's lives, if they're a part of a church like this, a community-based church, they're going to have ample opportunities to live for God right now. Live for God today, but trust in God for tomorrow. So Jesus, in his famous sermon on the mount, said, do not be anxious about tomorrow. This is the heart of Jesus' famous teaching. He's telling his followers, don't be anxious about tomorrow. And then he goes on to explain in that, pas- in that passage that the world plans for whatever is materialistic and fading that's what the world cares about he calls it earthly wealth materialistic fading this is what people are focused on this is what people are worried about and this is why everyone's anxious and so jesus reveals in his teachings that it's actually because of our selfishness and our fear that we are preoccupied with tomorrow that's why we're worried about tomorrow, because we're self-centered, because we lack accurate judgment on the true nature of things. But he urged his followers to focus on, not the future actually, he, he, he asked them to focus on the present. Again, Jim Cofield he says, when you, when you look at Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about what everybody's worried about, he keeps trying to bring his listeners back to the present. And how does he do that? He tells them, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. These simple things. And what does he say? He goes, look at how God provides for them, for the birds and the flowers. He keeps bringing people back to what's happening right in front of them. And actually, this is interesting, by focusing on God's will today, you're actually building a better future for yourself. Because he says, you're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. So wise planning factors in a broken world and a sovereign God. So live for God today and trust in him for tomorrow. That is a great approach to how we live our own lives, and it's a great environment to raise a child in. Live for God today, trust in God for tomorrow. Whose plans are we living for anyway? Whose plans, whether your own or your children's, are most important to you? Are we planning for God or are we planning for ourselves? Are our plans for our children really for God or are they for ourselves? When things go poorly in this world and when our plans fail, we like to blame anyone else, somebody else. We blame one another, right? Like, you don't like the way your kid turns out, you, know, you say, his mother raised him. But seriously, like, we, we like to give God the credit for our failures and we like to give God the credit for the disasters that our best plans become. And the Proverbs is insightful because it recognizes this. Proverbs 19, verse three, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. One common reason for atheism, or or even just saying I'm religious, but God and I are no longer on speaking terms. You know, you talk to people, you counsel with people, and that's a common thing. I don't want to believe in a God who would let my plans fail. I'm not talking to a God anymore who allowed my child to suffer. Why would a good God allow my child to suffer? Why would a good God allow perfectly reasonable plans to fail? Actually, for myself, the, the closest I ever came in ministry to quitting. Like, so this isn't a rule, but most people in full-time ministry will tell you at least once a decade, you have this like, I need to do something else. Like, I can't keep doing, I'll go flip pancakes somewhere. I've got to stop. I can't be in ministry anymore. Everyone goes through that. I think, but I think the the worst for me was the first, the earliest one. Early in my ministry, when I was was much younger, um, I had that, one of those moments like, Lord, I cannot, I was so angry and I, I just felt like I can't keep doing this, but, but here's what I, I discovered and what other people that I trusted and who were wiser than me helped me to see. I had deduced from my own personal failures and from the tragedies that I lived through and had to work through, and from other people's criticisms of me, I had deduced from all of that that I was unsuccessful. And you know what, in a way I was. I was unsuccessful from the perspective of my own foolish, self-centered plans. Yeah, I was unsuccessful. And in many ways, you have been unsuccessful. And in some ways, you will never live up to the American dream. And you will never be as great as somebody else or as good as somebody else according to your own plans, according to your parents' plans, according to your coach, your professors, your best friends, your social media friends' plans. And then what happens when you allow yourself to feel like a failure because you have not lived up to your plans or your parents' plans? What happens when you, she tears her ACL and she can't go to that Division I school? What happens when, when he, the vet, he's the valedictorian of his high school class, but he still can't get into that Ivy League school that he's always wanted to go to? Now what? Now you're, they, they feel like a total failure because their plans have not succeeded, because your plans for them have not succeeded, and now what is there to live for when the thing I was known for And the thing that was going to make me successful, the thing that was going to help me find my identity and my wealth, you know, my reason for living is no longer available. They're going to be crushed. Yeah, we will be crushed if we are living according to our own plans based on the selfish foolishness of a lack of good judgment and self-assessment. And so the Proverbs tell us Chapter 17, verse three. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold. But the Lord tests hearts. And and here's something that I learned as a young adult, but that you can teach your children sooner than that. That God God is more interested in modeling a heart of gold than filling your pockets with gold. What does a furnace do? It refines precious metal. What does God care about? Refining your heart. We see trials as failures, but they are God's furnace for proving wisdom. It's not your plan, and it's not what you want but it's God's plan, and it's what he knows is best. You know, our children need what the American church did not instill in us, a theology of suffering. It's all falling apart now in our culture because my generation never learned that suffering is part of God's refinement to make us wise for salvation. You see, God's plans cannot fail, and God's plans have not excluded us from them. The Proverbs close with this picture of a virtuous woman who is wise, and you have all of these descriptors of how she works hard, and she deals wisely with the community. Uh, She's not doing nothing. She's not sitting cross-legged on a carpet waiting for nirvana to happen. She's working hard, she's always involved, she's always planning, she's always bartering, she's taking care of her family, and it says in Proverbs 35, verse 25, uh, 31, uh, 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and then listen to this, she laughs at the time to come. Doesn't mean she's a jokester, it doesn't mean she could care less about anything, it means she's not worried about the future because she fears the beginning of wisdom. What was the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Scholars say what makes her able to laugh at the future, to not worry, but be completely focused on today and not worried about the future is her relationship with the one who is wisdom himself. And so we must help our children see that their lives exist within God's grand story. It's not their story. It's not my story. It's God's story, and I'm a part of it. You see, this is why salvation, let's end on this for your priorities in parenting, this is why salvation must be a greater parenting priority than plans. A priority in parenting, more important than plans, should be God's salvation. Because when a child's plans fail, God doesn't write them out of his story. We write one another out of each other's stories when we fail one another. When we don't live up to everyone's expectations for us, they write us out of their story. Like like a famous actor who dies in the middle of a series. What do they have to do? They have to write them out of the story. The story was one thing, but so and so died, and so we have to write that character out of the narrative. Let me tell you something. When you fail, and when your children fail, God doesn't write them out of the script. The Christian possesses, by the grace of God as a gift, this beautiful status that the New Testament writers referred to as being, these two words, listen up, in Christ and we take these words for granted, in Christ, it means everything. It means the world. Are you in Christ or are you not? Because if you are in Christ, there is no failed plan that will write you out of God's story of redemption and salvation. And so the Apostle Paul beautifully summarized this by saying, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, right? All the things that we're worried about. All the things that we cannot control for our children and the future generations. And Paul is saying none of them can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not even our own sinful plans separated us from God's salvation. Satan's plans and Pilate's plans and the religious leader's plans to crucify Jesus, even that could not write us out of God's story of salvation. And we discover that even their wicked plans, even our wicked plans have been used by God in his furnace of refining you into a wise person who chooses life instead of death, who chooses God's salvation instead of your own failed attempts to try and make a future for yourself and the next generation. Now you let God work. You let him work even through suffering to save your children. His plans supersede yours. And a wise parent understands that, accepts it, and embraces it. So teach your children to live for God today and to trust in God for the future. Let's pray. Our Father, we, in faith, surrender our plans to you. We roll them over to you. We commit our plans to you. And we ask that whatever the results are, they draw us closer to our Savior. That whatever the results are that you deem in your wisdom and in your love best, they would bring our children to Christ. They would make the next generation of those faithful to Christ and His gospel wise for salvation. That they will shine like lights in this darkening world. Father, give your church a future. Give your church a positive impact in this world. And may it start, Father, as we give up our plans and trust in yours. Thank you that even our worst plans could not separate us from the love of Christ, whose very death was part of your plan to win our salvation. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.